0: Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. We are back with another full week of hockey to break down. A lot happened on the NHL playoff side of things. However, Anaheim Ducks wise, let's just say there's not a, not a whole lot going on right now for the Ducks, Jake. Not a, not a whole lot to write home about. So we, we took it to Twitter and we solicited some questions from our awesome listeners. And so we've got plenty of material to go off of there, but First and foremost, I mean, how are you doing? How is how is life? Uh, How is your sports fan life? You know, just in general, how are you? uh,
1: Sports fan life is interesting. I mean, the Galaxy beat my LAFC yesterday, which sucks. So thanks for uh, making me think about that. I mean, there was a lot of wrestling on yesterday, which was fantastic. I still, I at some point, I'm probably going to watch SummerSlam, uh, which is on tonight. But watch AEW Dynamite, where there was the shock finish of Brody Lee just absolutely demolishing Cody Rhodes to take the TNT championship. And then you also had NXT TakeOver, where you had Pat McAfee facing Adam Cole, former punter of the Indianapolis Colts, with a hit sports talk show or podcast or whatever, and got in the ring and actually showed that he could work. It was impressive. So, weekend's actually been kind of fun, outside of that Galaxy LAFC game. Um, Tottenham had a preseason match. Season's starting up again soon. Outside of that, keeping busy studying also. So, that's been my life
0: also I am in I am in mourning yes I'm in mourning is this where it is Montreal was Canadians. was
1: this a setup for that was that
0: this just a big elaborate setup for you to talk about Montreal it really wasn't actually wow you're 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 doubting my my care level for you a little bit a little bit wow my altruism dang that's <laughs> that kind of hurts but I'm so just how are you timing in how, how are you feeling I'm I I actually did a little therapy today. I wrote an article about the Canadians, which I haven't done in years, but I submitted an article to the fourth period, which I had t- talked to them before about maybe writing about some other teams during the playoffs. So I kind of just got it out of my system today, wrote about it, it felt good. But yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, It's it, tough to see your team lose.
1: It, it's nice to be able to write sometimes and just get your thoughts onto paper
0: or... V- especially, paper. especially in a series where i think that they could have definitely won oh that's I, the part that stinks i think montreal
1: played really well in that series and i think you have nothing as a fan to go to kind of be mad about i guess the only reason that you can really be frustrated is i just don't think montreal had the scoring talent to keep up with philly but they played really yeah. good hockey well that's potentially outplayed yeah. philadelphia throughout the series
0: that's that's what it came down to to me and that was the crux of the article is that there's gonna be a lot of talk about the Canadians and there already has been about and this is this isn't really the the bad narrative I thought about picking for our categories that we do at the end, but there's already talk about how well set set up they are for the future and now all of a sudden their center lineup is so great and I'm pumping the brakes on that a little bit. Pumping the brakes on that. So we'll get into that later on. But first, let's um let's get into some ducks topics. Um, as we approach the draft, I just want to kind of put this out there. The draft is set to be in October. I don't know what the specific date is, but we're going to, we're going to do some more draft content on the pod. We're going to get that going back up. But for now, since it is kind of that lull in between, we're, we're holding off on some draft content, but I think, I think we have some goodies, uh, in the chamber that we're going to get to you at some point. So just, just stay tuned. Little, little teaser trailer there. Uh, Let's get into these questions, though. So let's start right away with Michael asking us: With Dallas Akins entering his second year, what are you looking for from him and his staff? What would you c- consider to be a success in another rebuild season? So let's just start with this. I think the last part of that question is interesting. Are we already assuming/slash accepting that this will be another rebuild season for the Ducks? I mean, I think it depends we're talking on- about. I think it depends We're talking on about the you, upcoming season.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on your perspective as a fan. But I mean, there are going to be some fans that think the team should be trying to make the playoffs every single year. Personally, my perspective of kind of trying to back out and leave any of my bias uh, of being a fan, I don't think this is going to be a playoff team, personally. I, I don't really view that as being the case with everything we saw this past year. Now they could blow it off doors. But I, I think that the the playoffs being the demarc- point of demarcation isn't. The right way to move forward. I don't think that that is kind of what you set as a reasonable expectation. I think that yes, this team is going to be have another rebuilding type year.
0: Yeah, that that's kind of where I stand in the sense that I think that I don't think the Ducks are viewing it as a rebuilding season. Oh yeah, but at the end of the day, I think that that's what's going to happen anyway, inadvertently. What we saw from the kids this first year in terms of Max Kontow. Uh, Troy Terry, Sam Steele, leads me to believe that they will be probably a little better next year. They're going to be, I think, closer to being NHL-level talent, regular NHL-level talent, but they didn't show enough this year for me to think that they have this big jump inside of them that's going to really elevate the Ducks next year and and bring them closer to playoff contention. So since I don't really forecast any kind of internal jump, I don't know where else it's going to come from because I don't, I don't see the ducks making big moves in the off season. So uh, we'll get into some other aspects of where that jump could come from. But yeah, I I think it's going to be a rebuild year, but kind of an inadvertent one at that. Maybe, maybe the ducks will make a push for the playoffs. Maybe there will be, I think there will be points in the season where they will look a little better, but it's, it's hard to bet on them really being a playoff caliber team. So yeah. to the, to the crux of the question though, uh, Dallas Aikens I mean what are you looking for from him this year what's what's something that he could either improve or just what are you looking for in general
1: I think what I'm looking for in general is so I've got some numbers from the just looking at the last years. so pre-Dallas Aikens post Dallas Aikens or and then with Dallas Aikens so 18-19 throughout the season the Ducks had a 45 percent expected goals four percentage they allow and that is combining the last two seasons um 18-19 and 19-20 that's so there's would be 62 seasons, basically, throughout that. That's 59th um, out of the league. So that's really not good. Uh, that was for 1819, so the final season under Randy Carlisle. They were only generating about 2.22 expected goals, four per 60 and allowing 2.7 against. This past season, they did see a bump in both of those. They were generating 2.324. So they were generating a little bit more and stopping a little bit less in terms of uh, 2.61 against and so they did see a bump going up to 47 which put them at 53rd for those two years what i want to see and what i would personally deem as a success for this team is to get to a point where they can say we are generating more chances than the other team consistently and i think that that is the biggest thing for this team and that's what we've seen from teams that are able to start getting out of a rebuild quicker and having some more successes. They're able to instill that style of play. And then you're able to build around that with pieces. And so for me with Dallas Aikens, what I want to see, it's not necessarily a a micro uh, on a micro level, looking at all of these different zone entries, different things like that. It's more a, a big picture level of the ducks need to be. And this is something you can do, whether you have skill or not, look at Montreal. We, we just talked about, it. they may not have had the finishing talent, but you look at the way they played. It was very much generating more of the chances than the other team. And I think that is the point. I think that it's a very simple thing. Get up, get at or above 50%, which puts you middle of the pack. It's not exactly elevating to this top level, but I think that that should be the baseline for what would be a successful season for this team, taking them from what was being one of the worst teams in the league two seasons ago to now being above 50% and being middle of the pack. I think that would be considered a success.
0: Yeah, and I guess what I would add to that in terms of how do you get there, because of course everyone True. wants to be True. above 50%, <laughs> what I would say is I think this team needs to have an honest self-assessment of the roster talent. Yes, and I think that, that too. this version of the Ducks is not going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're probably not going to be the Carolina Hurricanes. They're not going to be an offensive oriented team they're not going to be a team that's going to push the pace they don't really have the horses to do that and i think during stretches of the season they tried to be that and it backfired a little bit there were also stretches where it looked good because that that's what happens when you try to play that up and down style is there's going to be these big peaks and valleys in terms of your your results and so i think they need to commit to an identity they need to pick yeah what kind of team they want to be based on the uh, pieces that they have at their disposal and i think what that leads me to think is they 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 need to become a defensive-minded team. They need to get really solid in their own zone. The the defensive habits, the defensive culture of this team needs to take 10 steps forward because right yes. now this past season they were still very leaky offensively. And Dallas Akin's, I'm sure he tried, but there was a lot of resemblance to how this team played in its own zone under that 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 than how they did under Randy Carlisle. And That's a big issue because you cannot compete in the NHL. You can't have a chance in the NHL if you don't hold up your end of the bargain in your own zone. And I think that that is something that they need to commit to as soon as the season begins, training camp, whatever you want to call it. Just become solid in your own zone and then let the talent flourish on the other end, whatever talent you have. So I think you're asking guys like Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm, Cam Fowler, Branson, all these guys you're really ask, asking them to take charge and be leaders in their own end and asking the forwards to be even more involved down low. There's, there's a way to get there, but I think it's it's kind of a culture-setting thing, what, how you play in your own zone. I mean, there's yeah. been talk about, you look at the Colorado Avalanche, part of the reason that I think that there's a bit of a difference in their success versus the Maple Leafs is and the Oilers is that the, the, the best players on the Avalanche, like, for example, Nathan McKinnon, also is very good defensively, and you don't see that in Edmonton. You don't see that in Toronto, of course. Different rosters, different circumstances, but I think it starts at the top, and that's that's what needs to be established from day one in Anaheim. I think for this team to not just instill habits long term, but to maybe make a run next season—that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're you're definitely kind of right on. Uh, right on with that. The one thing that I will say is, I, I think that the reason why that transition type of game it doesn't necessarily work for the Ducks is, I think part of it is, they need to get some better pieces on the depth of the back end. And maybe they, they did. Maybe that was the move for Christian Juice. Maybe Kota Kuran can step in and, and prove that he can move the puck at an elite level. I'm very skeptical on Branson still being able to do that. I think... He's been mm-hmm. better than expected, but I don't think
0: that that's really a part you of just, his game. I just want to point out that last week you told me to to take it easy on him. I did, and, and now and now, well Wait, you when there, there was a point where I, I made some comment about Goodbranson and and you you held me back a little bit. So well, I just said he's been fine. He's been good. He's been better than expected. I said, yeah, that. but you you also said you don't expect that to continue.
1: No, so. I well I don't expect him to be <laughs> able to move the puck.
0: Like you need to play a transition style of game. It's hard to it's hard to bet on that happening because of his entire career before last season. And I think
1: you're you're right on. And I think part of that no understanding your identity is understanding the path forward for the seam. And that's, I think, the toughest thing for this this Ducks franchise is what are they? It doesn't really even seem as as, and this is now even a bigger question than Dallas Aiken's. It doesn't seem like Bob Murray knows what they are. It seems like he still thinks that this team should be competing, that this core should be competing, but I just, it just doesn't feel like that's the case. And it feels like he's almost, uh, it feels like almost he's talked himself out of trying to do a rebuild, trying to do all these different things because he thinks that they can do it. But it's just, I think you you hit the nail on the head at the very top. They need to have a really kind of cold assessment of what they are. Because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like Bob Murray has necessarily done that. I think he's too close to the fire where he's viewing uh, viewing these guys that he's seen come up with the Ducks, viewing Jacob Silverberg, viewing uh, Cam Fowler, viewing all these guys that he's seen grow up um, in front of him and almost getting too attached to them and to make a assessment that's necessary. And I think that that is kind of where he's getting caught right now with this franchise.
0: Although he did buy out Corey Perry, <laughs> I mean that that, that is true. No, that is no small true. move. You're right. That is a that, is, that is a big one. That is true. So, but I would argue though that he whatever mindset he had there might not have been applied to the right area of the yeah. roster. Um, so anyway, let's. Uh, so a good question, Michael. The only other thing. Yeah. That the only other component in that question was what would you consider a success for next season, um, which I didn't really address. I think you may have to yep. some degree. I I just um, I think that like I was saying, they need to establish an identity. And as far as results, I'm not really looking at wins and losses next season because that's like next season is not paramount to their ultimate success, which is becoming a contender again. I really just want to see the underlying results, the the like you were talking about with the, the analytics. I want to see that get better, and I just want to see them play a consistent style because every team in these playoffs so far, and especially the better teams, you know when you're going to watch them what kind of team you're going to watch. They have established a certain identity, and part of that is their coaching, part of that is their uh, personnel, and also just the way that they've chosen to play. It's this blend, and the Ducks, like we keep saying here, they got to find that blend at some point. And for the last, I would say, two, three seasons, it hasn't really been the case. Moving on. Moving on. Alex asks four different questions. So let, I don't know if we're going to do all four, but oh, we'll, we'll do an our answer. best. I've got an answer to all four. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. So we will do all four. There you go. Uh, number one. This is one, what
1: happens when you give me a script. I can do I research. always give
0: you a script you're, you're really latching on to one little slip up by me months ago, years ago, maybe now. Um, but yes, question number one, what do you want to see as the ducks starting D pairs this year? What will they likely be? So Jake, I think that first part of the question is more for you. What do you want to see the pairings be? Um, that's, it really is a tough one because I think for this
1: exercise, uh, We have to work under the fact that uh, the Ducks roster will remain the same. I I don't think you can go into this and say, well, they're going to have so-and-so and and they're going to have so-and-so or they're not going to have so-and-so, like not have Manson. I I think for this, I think the best way to do it is to assume that all the guys currently on the roster will be there. So I think for me, it's hard to go away from Lindholm Manson. Um, They're just kind of so steady and give you that solid, uh, solid look on the back end. Um, and then as for the second pair, I think that we saw that Fowler and good Branson had good chemistry together. They worked well together. So I'd probably just go back to that. And this is all at the start and it should, and could be fluid with guys going in and out of lineup. I don't think anyone should be tied to a roster spot at this point on the blue line. I think everyone should be able to, to jump in and out. And then for that third pair, I'd probably go Christian juice. And I'd probably honestly throw Cody Coran on there. Um, yeah, just to see what he had.
0: Or has I guess well uh, they they, they sign him from as a free agent who yeah. has never played in the NHL before so I don't think they're signing him to not give him a chance exactly he's, he's going to play and yeah.
1: granted he's a left handed shot as is uh, Christian Juice so it would be two lefties on that bottom pairing but I, I think that you want to see what you have in Karan. they brought him in because he was the I think the top point producer in the, the Swedish Hockey League last year he was year. the MVP he was of the, the MV- SHL. MVP of the league so you bring him in for a reason to see what he can do especially on the power play. So I guarantee you, he will probably slot in on that top power play unit. So he's probably going to come right into the lineup. So um, to me, I think Karan is probably a lock on that bottom pair with Juice. And they may have both
0: those guys, honestly, on the first power play. Yeah, well, that that's one of his strengths is playing uh playing on, on the, with the man advantage. So what I think that they will be, uh, you pretty much said what I think it'll be as well. Manson, Lindholm on your first pairing fowler and uh good branson on the second pairing and then it'll be some combination of juice cody curran and uh jacob larson is going to be that the third pairing rotation so uh just for those keeping score at home uh, no right shot d on the third pairing (laughs) all lefties uh two right shot d's in the lineup yeah so it is what it is i think that what i what i would be curious to see is how long of a leash Jacob Larson will have because he was not good at all last season. And at a certain point, I think Josh Mahura is going to need an extended look in the NHL. And I'm very curious how long he will have to really prove himself because by the end of the season, Larson could be more on the outside looking in, in terms of this lineup. I mean, a few things have to go right for that to happen. Juice needs to play really well and Mahura needs to get an opportunity and make the most of it. But there is a scenario where we don't really know what happens with Jacob Larson. Also, Yanni Hawkenpaw is still in this mix. He is a right, a right shot D, and there is still a possibility that he is part of this lineup. He was decent towards the end of the season, but that remains very much to be seen. So that, that is who I expect. Okay, number two for Alex's four-part question. If you were Ryan Getzlaff, would you re-sign in Anaheim once your deal expires, or do you go seek a cup? So, Jake, what so would you do if you're in his shoes?
1: He's throwing two tough ones at me because this is also another tough one where you could argue both ways easily, and it really just all comes down to a personal decision because, I mean, on one hand, Getzloff already does have a but cup. You,
0: no, but, but here's the thing. You are
1: Ryan Getzloff. I know. Here. You're, I'm, you're, you're, I'm, I'm you're making out the, the case. Decision. I'm laying out the case for both sides. Okay. I'm laying out the case for both sides. So he already has a cup. So going and chasing a cup may for him not, not seem to be as appealing because he already has one one, it doesn't necess- I don't think getting another one really affects his legacy. It's not as if he's a guy that needs to have it. He's probably in the Hall of Fame without uh, without getting another one. So I think that you can make the argument that being a one franchise player and being a franchise superstar, everything like that, is as like is as beneficial for him as getting another cup. And so I think for him staying in Southern California, being with the franchise. Uh, allowing his family to stay here. He still has a house in Newport, even though he did sell the other one. That was big news for whatever reason. Um, But then granted, he may want to win another cup. He's been a winner at all levels. These guys are competitive. So, I mean, if I were in his shoes, I think I would probably stay with the Ducks, mainly because of the fact of he would be a one-franchise player. And I think that uh, even though it doesn't matter at the end of it all, I think it does matter to some guys. And so yeah. I, I think that for him, uh, for him staying with this team, playing his entire career here, I think that does matter to him. And I think that would matter to me because it, that's something that is so rare in the modern game. And so I think that that does that would be nice. And I think that if I was him, I would stay. So that's that's what you would do, by the way, in his me, situation. Yes. Let me throw this at you. His legacy. Does him not having another cup affect his legacy? George throws in our Twitch chat that he disagrees with me, saying he needs to win another cup as a leader and not a support player.
0: Well, I have definitely come around to the idea, just with some of our rewatchable episodes that we did, watching back the the 07 cup run, that he was not a support player. No, he was was not. Yeah, this notion, I mean, he wasn't a veteran, he wasn't, Whatever you want to call it, the the face of the team. Although even that is questionable. So nah, he wasn't the face it. of the team back then. That's he, not yeah, questionable. He, well, what I'm saying is he's he hasn't done it necessarily. He hasn't done it as the face of a team. But if you oh, look got at it, got it. who was the the main contributor on that team or one of the top contributors, he was by far one of them. And so that's where it gets tough for me. But so I don't think he needs to win another one to solidify his legacy. I think his his legacy is already set in stone. It's he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's done it all. He's won in the, at the NHL level, at the international level. Uh, he's kind of checked all the boxes. And so really, if he wins another one, he's not going to be a, the lead guy either because he's on the wrong side of 30. He's not going to a team to be a, their their first line center anymore. That Those days are gone as well. So if he wins another one and he has a big playoff run on a cup contending team, I think that that elevates his legacy that that gives him another another notch in his belt but I I don't think it it makes this huge difference for him. I think what he has done already speaks for itself and it's really set in stone. So I guess I kind of gave away my answer. I think I'm if I'm him I'm just staying I'm staying in Orange County enjoying being a lifetime duck enjoying living in Southern California and that's kind of it. I um, I, I think it's a lot of work to go to another team, build up and, and deal with the whole emotional stress of believing and changing teams, making that decision. I don't think he yeah. needs to do that, and I wouldn't by, do it. <laughs> by the way, that season, just kind of as a reference,
1: Getzloff was sixth on the team in points um, in the regular season, and he was first on the team in playoff scoring with 17 points in 21 games. So any argument that he was a passenger in that playoff run to win the cup he led the team in points, so yeah, that that kind of throws that out the window completely. Um, the and then so sorry, d underscore f underscore t underscore n said if Getz says he'd like a deadline trade this season, let's just say he's he says with his contract expiring, he wants to be able to go chase a cup, kind of like Joe Thornton did. What do you think the Ducks could get in return? That isn't that's not really something I've thought about really in depth. I don't know what he would get because his. His cap hit would be so high, but then again, it's fi- the final year
0: of the deal. Well, so, and it would also be half. It wouldn't or it wouldn't even be half. It would be less than half of yeah. the total cap hit. Yeah, you're trading him exactly. The so deadline. the cap hit, yeah. the
1: the the cap hit, kind of gets thrown out the window completely because most of the season will be gone by the trade deadline.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think he could get in return? I think he probably gets you a, a second round pick, second to to first round pick. Yeah, I think I, mean, I, I may, think second maybe a first. Well, I, I mean, I, I just I don't think maybe he I, gets you I think he maybe at most he gets you a second and a and a decent prospect.
1: If let's just I mean, let's just track back real quick. Patrick Eves got a conditional second that became a first based on games played. Yeah,
0: but Patrick Patrick Eves was also scoring out of his mind yes, that year. So, but, this involves I think for Getsloff to get a higher return, he also needs to be playing at a pretty high level. That's so, fair. and he, he didn't really do that last season. Maybe this year in a contract year, he steps it up, but I don't see a big 60 to 70 point season on the way for gets because I, a big problem for him is the power play is so bad for the ducks. And so that he doesn't get those points. And I, I don't see the ducks really getting this big return for him, which is why it also kind of begs the question. Is it worth trading a franchise icon to get a yep. second round pick? Yep. That, that to me that is kind of one of those un un uh, quantifiable costs because sure at the end of the day you're you're getting an asset back and that's important but it also sucks for a lot of people to see a guy who's lived the majority of his life in one area of the world wearing only one team's jersey uh winning, winning a cup there to just trade him for a second round it just doesn't feel right it, that, yeah. that's kind of what I've landed on with the Perry buyout it just there's something about it that just doesn't feel right especially for a team like we've already talked about the Ducks that doesn't really have an identity doesn't have a clear cut direction that's being communicated at least from the top so to just be setting these guys out for these marginal benefits it it just doesn't feel worth it If, if the Ducks were on the brink of contention and moving out of gets where a Perry gets you that final piece or one of those pieces of the puzzle, then it makes a lot more sense, but yep. the ducks aren't there <laughs> just to rehash. Another thing that we talked about last week with, with Corey Perry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think it's really worth it. And if I were him, I, I would resign. Let's move on to Number three. Kind of a fun question here. If Timu Solani were a rookie in the upcoming season, 2020, 2021, how many goals and assists might he put up? So I'm kind of, interpreting this as, as a rookie, but also how his career would unfold. So just looking back historically, Timu Solani in his rookie season in ninety-two and ninety-three put up seventy-six goals and hundred and thirty-two points. Which sorry to jump in pretty right, good sorry
1: to jump in sorry to jump in right here, but just for the video portion, because for the audio it will be there. Repeat the question. You you lagged out just a little bit there.
0: Oh did I? So basically as a as a rookie if Timu Solani were a rookie this upcoming season, if we're moving him in a time machine to this year, how many points would he put up? How many goals and assists might he put up? So in his actual rookie season of 92-93, as a 22-year-old, he put up 76 goals. <laughs> which feels insane to read out yeah. loud. And 132 points in 84 games. So throughout his career, he had, let's see after that he had 250 goal seasons multiple 40 plus goal seasons and the early 90s in the NHL were actually pretty still pretty high scoring yeah. still kind of a remnant of the 80s goalies a's. sucked <laughs> well goalies were just not what they are today exactly um, and it tu- and it took a long time for them to get to that point but when you get to the dead puck era which i would define as the late 90s to early 2000s yeah timu solani was still putting up 40 goal seasons i mean yep. he had a couple of downturn seasons but i mean 97 98 had 52 goals 98 99 47 and you i mean the the season that the ducks won the cup which isn't really part of the dead puck era but when you watch those games it doesn't look too far off he had 48 goals so you put him in today's nhl where scoring you know i think it's slightly up but it's not the highest it's ever been how do you think he fares given given all that information
1: So, granted, I didn't look up any sort of translation factor because I know those do exist where you could look up average goal from the season and everything like that. But just kind of on the glance, looking at where guys were scoring that season, Tamu led the league in scoring, but there were a fair amount of people over 50 and 60 goals that year. In um, his rookie year. In his rookie year. And so kind of trying to translate that to where goals are goal scoring is at now today. That would probably put him in the 50 goal range so I'm gonna go a little bit lower just because goalies are better so I'm gonna say uh, let's go 47 goals and 35 assists for 82 points in 82 games
0: yeah I would agree with that I think the the 40 goal range that 30 assist range is pretty much I think where I where I see him as well which is really damn good for a rookie I mean Timu Solani is very very good and I think is maybe a little underrated historically. How do you feel about that? Sorry, say that one more time. I was reading uh, the Twitch chat. Oh, great! Just ignoring mm-hmm. me yet again. Yep. Is exactly. team of Solani is team of Solani slightly underrated historically?
1: Ooh, I don't
0: think so. Actually, very I think, very productive. I, I think he.
1: I think he's properly rated as being a
0: superstar. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that, but I think he doesn't. He just doesn't get talked about as much as some of those other late '90s, yeah. early 2000s stars you... like Joe Sakic. Jerome McGinley, those types. Speaking of Tamu Solani, did you see the video that came
1: out? I think you were the one who quote tweeted it, actually, which led me to see it. Um, But did you see the video that was like from the mid to late 90s of how much hooking and holding there was and how guys were legitimately just able to grab on and hold on to Tamu and basically tackle him? It's insane that that was the game.
0: Well, what was more insane was those Ducks jerseys that they were wearing. The oh, those, were Ducks. Great, those were great jerseys. You like those? Oh, I do. Those are good jerseys. <laughs> so for those who don't know which ones we're referring to, these were the ones that had like a gray stripe going across the chest and down the arms, I think, yeah. and, it was, and, a, and then a purple stripe. Yep. They they were interesting looking. They were interesting. But, but so for the shift that we're talking about is against the Rangers and... I don't know what season this would have been. I think mid-90s. I'm forgetting which season it was. Yeah, it was the third and and fourth jerseys. The amount of hooking that occurs on this shift and interference is insane. It's absurd. I mean, Solani goes into the corner, and the defenseman's first reaction is simply just to wrap a stick around him and leave it there. So So Solani's digging at a puck, and there's a defenseman behind him away from this puck battle who just has his stick hooked around Solani and that's it that that's the defensive tactic there so yeah the nhl's come a long way and the fact that he was able to put up those kind of numbers in that era definitely i think same thing with paul korea i mean these guys would have lit up the the current nhl because of how good they were in an era with just crazy interference yeah so
1: um hardcore luchador yeah good friend of the the pod hardcore luchador sean says is this a drunk pod to go from uh, 76 goals down to 46 goals uh No, this is us. Forty six is a lot.
0: Forty,
1: it's (laughs) yeah, it's definitely just kind of looking at what it's trying to. We're adjusting.
0: We're adjusting for the era. So exactly today, forty seven goals as a rookie probably translates to sixty plus back then. Yep. So that's a lot. It's a lot of goals. Okay, moving on to the fourth section of Alex's question. Does Dallas Aikens survive twenty twenty one at the helm? <laughs> I love how I love how fatalistic that question is. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just chime in and say yes. I've got a bold take here. Oh, let's I, hear it. I,
1: I think he does, but I don't think
0: Bob Murray does. Interesting. So you think the ducks would fire Bob Murray before his contract expires? Yes. Interesting. I think if the Ducks have
1: an absolutely awful, have a year where they're not in the playoffs, even if the underlying numbers show them playing better, I think Bob Murray is kind of uh, on the hot seat.
0: Well, with everything that's going on, I have kind of a few different thoughts on that. I think with everything that's going on, with the uncertainty, with the flat cap, league revenue, who knows how many fans are going to be able to to go to games next season, if any. I don't know if the Ducks are necessarily excited that's about true. paying paying someone to not work for them that's a good point because gm salaries coach salaries are guaranteed which is kind of crazy but it is what it is um so with murray i don't know how that affects their calculus maybe the ducks are just so bad that at that point your thought becomes well what's one season we have to pay him we need someone new we need to turn this thing around so it's not necessarily this awful thing to have to pay him but it's just i wonder where they factor that in, and I do agree that I think Akins is likelier to be kept on board yep. in a situation where Murray is like, "Oh, because ownership was pushing for Dallas yep. Akins." I don't think that Dallas Akins was the choice of Bob Murray, and, and the jury still the jury's still out on Dallas Akins. We don't really know if he's a good coach yet. And I think so if that we'll just have I think, to it,
1: see. I think if that happens, I think Dallas Akins will be involved in who's hired as the next GM.
0: Oh God! Yeah, don't you? Done. Don't you? Well. I, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know how these things really work. But well, you would want your coach much, and your
1: general manager to see eye to eye.
0: Yes. But the, the thing with the Ducks is they don't really have this. And I think this is why a lot of teams are moving to this model where you have your president of hockey operations and the GM and the coach. You have kind of three levels. But in with the Ducks, they don't have that kind of hierarchy. And so if you remove Bob Murray from the equation, who's calling the shots on this hiring process i mean there there's a lot i, I guess you have to include dallas akins but to what degree should he have this this influence if he's just recently hired has no tangible success to speak of how much is his input really necessary in that situation so yeah i don't know you, you don't seem to be reacting to this so
1: no no i, I no i mean to I me hear you it,
0: typing no that wasn't
1: typing actually that was a uh... Me adjusting my headphones and scratching the back of my ear.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> that's understandable. <laughs> Happens. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, I think we we got through those pretty pretty well actually. I'm uh, I'm impressed. We're we're doing well here. Let's move on to Mountain Drew, who asks us. I know this is pretty soon. I guess too soon to ask, but how soon do you think it'll be before we see Trevor Zegras in Orange County? Is 2022 possible? So I think he's he's actually in Orange County right now. Did someone say that? Was it? CJ yeah, I told us that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and people on our Twitch chat have said that that he's in playing golf with Comtois and Tustin.
0: Yeah, so there you go.
1: Well, so he's I already in question, Orange County.
0: Yeah. So, but the spirit of the question is when he will yeah. be on the Ducks. Yeah. Yep. I think it'll be next season. Yep. Uh, I don't think he's going back to college. I. I think that he he definitely
1: isn't. He already signed his entry-level contract, so he cannot go back to college.
0: Well, sorry. I mean, I don't think they're going to... I don't know how much he'll play in the AHL either. Yeah. So I think he's... I think we're going to see him in Anaheim. And I think... I don't know if it's a great decision or not. I I really don't know. I mean, Trevor Zegras had a good season in college. Wasn't... I don't know how dominant he really was. And so I don't know if he could benefit from another year there. I don't know if he could benefit from the year in the in the AHL, but the franchise seems pretty set on having him in a duck sweater next season. And that'll be interesting.
1: The most interesting thing I saw someone I can't even remember who it was at this point, but there was someone that put out kind of a chart that that showed kind of individual expected goals and different things like that for uh mm-hmm and yeah. assists and different things like that. He had a and good the, season. I mean, the, the the thing, that's well, what that graph that, indicated. <laughs> yes, the thing that was shocking to me, and this is kind of what I want to get at, is we all know him as being uh, an assist or uh, a playmaker, a guy that can produce assists. We saw it in the World Juniors. We saw him setting up guys that seems to be what his number one skill talent is, similar to Ryan Getzloff. The thing that I didn't expect was his expected goal total would be that high, and you look at the amount that he shot. He was shooting three three times a game on goal. And so he may have a higher goal potential than we've even thought that he had. And to me, that's actually very exciting. I'm curious to see how that plays out.
0: I think where, where I'm seeing Trevor Ziggurat, what he'll become, I think he's going to be a really good analytical player in that I think his underlying numbers will be very good. But I don't know if he's going to be this huge point producer. I think Ooh. it's similar to Troy, Troy Terry in the sense that he, Troy Terry, a lot of people saw him as becoming an offensive guy or a lot of Ducks fans hope for that. And I think he's trending more towards being this really solid two way player. And I think Z is going to be a very good offensive player in the NHL. He has all the tools, the vision, the just the, the, the hockey sense, but I don't know if he's going to be this guy who's going to challenge for like an art Ross or something like that. I don't I, know if I that's in this. Yeah.
1: Future. <laughs> I think that's fair. Cause that that's assuming he's going to be the very top of the top, which is kind of the very ultimate yeah. high end. I Uh, I just
0: think that the way a lot of people are viewing him around, you know, the kind of ducks community that, that we're all a part of here is that Zgras is coming in to save the day. And I think it's important to pump the brakes on that a little bit because although Trevor Z is a fantastic prospect, maybe the best prospect in hockey right now, I think that that's all relative. It doesn't mean he's coming in and going to be Austin Matthews or some franchise savior. So let's, you know, give him a little time to establish himself at the pro level. I think it, it might be a little tough for him early on. Who knows? This is going to be by far the highest level he has played uh, compared to, you know, playing. I mean, he played for the U S national team development program in the USHL games. And I mean that you're basically a stacked team beating up on everyone else at that level. And then, you know, played one season of college. So this is going to be a big test for him. And I'm just, I'm cautioning it right now. Don't, Let's, well, not have another, let's not have another Troy Terry moment Sam that Steele. Jake brought on himself. Or a Sam Steele moment. Yeah. Wait, I, mean, how it's did the I same br- thing.
1: what did I bring on myself with Troy Terry here? What did I so, bring on myself with that?
0: The first season that we did this pod, you were very high on Troy Terry. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, you're a yeah. fan of this team, and yeah. you are going to hype yeah. up your prospects because you want them to do well. And I think that that's, that's well and good. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I also think that that can give people the impression Hey, this guy is going to be amazing. And I
1: mean, I never said that he was going to be amazing. I always said he well, was probably no, going to but, be
0: like, but your enthusiasm, that people, people are going to interpret that a certain way. And, you know, I know how you feel. And I'm not, I'm not, I never thought you were specifically saying he's going to be this first line, you know, 30, 40 goal scorer. But I think some people may take it that way. And it's important when we're giving our, analysis of these players i'm i'm not saying we're you know people people are out there basing everything off what we say but i think if we can do our part to properly set expectations for prospects you don't have fans saying what the heck i was promised i I was promised x y and z and this is what i got you know
1: yeah and i I think for everyone out there with when it comes to prospects a healthy bit of skepticism is never a bad thing you should be skeptical
0: Um, until you see it happen but you should also allow yourself to have some optimism and and dial in on what those players do well. And I think with Trevor Zegras more than any other ducks prospect that we've seen in the last however many years, he has very tangible talents that you just see right away when he plays that show up on the score sheet, the passing the vision. And I think that that lines him up very well to become a top six producer, you know, in terms of playing on the top two lines. But I just, Let's pump the brakes just just a tiny bit, just That's a fair. tiny bit. Fair. Sorry, that that was a bit of a rant, but all I'm, good. I'm making sure to because I've been so I've been doing a lot of just research on the draft lately because the Canadians now we know are going to be at 16th overall, and so I'm I'm just dialed into the draft again, and so I'm the more I'm reading through these different reports and guys and there's a lot of there's a lot of good talent out there, but there's always that that possibility that it doesn't pan out. So yep. Let's move on here to Shane, great, great friend of the show, STFU Shane, mm-hmm. asks why doesn't hockey see as many later in their career revivals as other sports? You see it in baseball, aka Jose Bautista, Eric, is it Thames? Thames, I don't know. Mm, and nah, there's always I think it's Thames, but maybe not Thames. And there's always a story about a dude who stuck in the minors for years and years. And then makes a breakout in the sport of hockey. It seems like once you come to the league as a blue chip or regular prospect, they progress that way throughout their careers into role players or superstars, but not a guy who no one had heard of becoming superstars in our. So basically the crux of that question is, why don't we see guys late? Why don't we see as many late bloomers in hockey? So but there are some there. There's definitely a yes. few. I mean, Brad, Brad Marshan is the shining example of the late bloomer because up until his later twenties, Brad Marchand was more of a, a bottom six kind of energy type player and he became seemingly overnight a hundred point player. That just doesn't happen. But there are there are exceptions to that rule. So what are your thoughts and,
1: on that? I mean, and going with another Bruin, Tim Thomas, another one that had a late career <laughs> resurgence. I I think that's well, ba- a goalie. A... <laughs> Goalies are weird. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors at play here. Um, I think the biggest one is hockey such a physically taxing sport um, that it's hard to have a late career resurgence because the, the amount of miles that you get on your body is so large that it's hard when you, you get into your late 20s, early 30s. Uh, it's hard to really then break into the league because at that point in time you have so many miles on your – your body that you and are you're going you're up against th-
0: guys who who don't have those miles.
1: Yep. And, and you're currently in your decline at that point in time in terms of physical physical talent. Um, whereas mm-hmm. I think in baseball, you're able to have guys that ne- don't necessarily have that same type of physical taxing load on their body. Not saying it's not physically taxing to play baseball or doesn't take a high level of skill. But
0: yeah, what are you he, saying? Are you,
1: are you a hater? No, I'm just saying that it's a it's a different <laughs> level of physicality between the two. And I think especially with baseball, where it is very much a skill based game with being able to uh, read pitches and things like that, that if you're able to discover that later in your career where you weren't able to earlier, that can lead you to having success later. Whereas with hockey, skating and, and, and having that is such a huge part of your game that you. Um, as you start to age, your stride becomes lower and you become slower, and that really affects and impacts your game. So I think that's partially why. I think one other reason why between just specifically going with the baseball versus hockey is that baseball, there are so many levels. The the systems are so huge, and you're drafting. I think you're going to say steroids when you start with an S there, but continue. Uh, well, no, was I mean, there is that can, also. Can, continue. Um, no, but you have triple-A, double-A, AA, single-A, low, everything else. You have so many rounds of drafting that there are just so many players that come in that I think the the likelihood of someone hitting becomes higher as that pool becomes massive. Whereas hockey, yeah. that pool isn't as big. And so I think
0: that's part of it also. I think those are all great answers. I, I would tend to agree with that definitely, that just the nature of the game, the the physicality, Even if people whine and moan that hockey isn't as physical as it used to be, uh, try lacing them up and going to an NHL game. It's physical. There's a lot of pushing and shoving and hitting and just the impact and the the toll that it's taking on your legs to skate. It's still an extremely physical sport, and it's just tough, especially with the way that training now is so sports-specific and you have guys coming in, 15-, 16-year-olds that are now more than ever ready for uh, you know major junior and it's and it, that just translate up you have guys who get to the NHL and it's like they've been pro athletes for for multiple years at that point and that that's just it's tough to keep up when you're when that's what you're going up against i think a few years ago you know maybe 10 20 years ago it was easier for guys to hold on because younger players they didn't have that kind of development and they didn't come in as NHL ready i think that that's really the big reason why you don't see it as much anymore. I'm sure if you go back in history, there are examples, but those examples are are definitely fading out. And I think for a guy like Brad Marchand, I mean, I don't know the specifics of his training regimen, but in the last few years, he's trained with Sidney Crosby and and Nathan McKinnon. They're all from uh, New Brunswick or Nova Nova Scotia. Sorry. And uh, I think that the training has gotten so much more skill specific and training with those elite guys, that's going to give you a different look at the game. It's going to change the way you play. And for Marchand, it it definitely changed, but that, that just doesn't really happen all that much. So good question. I actually, yep. It'll be, it's, uh, it's definitely something that the ducks haven't seen. I mean, you could argue maybe cam Fowler to some degree later in his career. He, he had a really good season last year when maybe you wouldn't have expected him to, to have an uptick, but there, there aren't too many examples on the, on the ducks. That's for sure.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And then okay. we, we got one final question. we answered this a couple times, but seeing as you jump back in, let's get, just pick one player. Mike provost Prevo nine said, who do you think the ducks will target with the Boston pick
0: pick a player? Well, that Boston pick is going to, it's looking like it could be the 31st pick. It's going to be any, well, it's going to be anywhere from 27 to 31. Um, yeah. But what I'm saying is they look really good. Yep. <laughs> 31 feels really in play. So who do I think is going to be available at 31 that could be a really high-level prospect for the Ducks? So here's my caveat to all this. A lot of this depends on who they pick at six. And I, more than ever, am fully on board with they need to get Marco Rossi at six. They have to get Marco Rossi. He is going to be so good. So many teams are going to pass on him and are going to kick themselves for passing on him. And with Marco Rossi on this team... You have a legitimate center prospect to go with Trevor Zegras, and all of a sudden, that's what gives you your identity. Really good centers. Yep, <laughs> that's a good place to start. And also,
1: make the jump right away to the league.
0: Yeah, if if you go off of so if you just look at points and you look at the quality of league that guys plays in, according to hockey dot which is a really awesome website that it's really good. I we signed up for basically uses NHL e. Which there's a whole explanation for it that we could get into. But basically, it's projecting how likely it is that a player will become a star at the NHL level based on what they've done at the amateur level. And so there are certain leagues that just translate higher, that, that, that translate to higher NHL production, like the OHL, Sweden, the KHL. These leagues translate really well. And the point of this tool is to cut through all the questions of size, let's say, or, oh, he's older, right? It's let's just judge these guys based off what they've done and how does that project forward. And if you look purely at that, Marco Rossi is the highest star probability of any prospect in this draft at he's 82%. Good. He's ahead of Alexi Lafreniere, who's at 75%. And I think that is mostly due to the leagues they play in. Marco Rossi plays in the OHL, which is a stronger league than the QMJHL. So if Alexi Lafreniere had played in the OHL, there's a possibility... He would be tops in this list, but that's even higher than Quentin Byfield, who was younger, had a crazy good season. Uh, yep. He's at 73%. So I don't know if I buy that Marco Rossi is the best prospect in this draft, but I certainly think he's undervalued. And so he's the guy to be targeting at six. So with that being said, if he is your pick at six, which I am naming him the Ducks pick, I think you need to start thinking about drafting a defenseman with that second first round pick. Do you agree with that? Or do you just go get another forward? Or do you just take the best player available? What are your best thoughts Best player on that? available. Best player available. Ooh. So if you're going best player available, you may have some options at that 27 to 31. <laughs> so just picking a single
1: player, I'm going JJ Paterka.
0: Do you think he'll be available?
1: I think if it's 27 through 30, maybe. I don't know if he'll mm-hmm. be available at 31.
0: Yeah. I mean, JJ Perturka was really good this season and he has a lot of really good offensive instincts that a lot of people love Tim Stutzler for. And so I think he would be another, yep. just another really solid forward for the ducks to add to their core, because as much as people like the ducks forward group, I mean, people that follow prospects for a living, like Scott Wheeler rank them highly. You just can't, you can't have enough lottery tickets. You can't have I mean, enough exactly. guys. And so Maybe I'm talking myself out of picking a defenseman because I think, just get another guy. Get another guy who can become something. And so if you look at, for example, Corey Pronman's projections of guys who could go in that range, you've got William Willinder, Justin Barron, J.J. Paterka's at 29 to the Capitals. So to, to your question there, he has Brendan Brisson going 31 to Anaheim at that point. And I mean, that's that could potentially be a good pick. He's he's has He's got a decent... Uh, Star probability on uh, hockeyprospecting.com. He's at 27% star probability, which is uh, pretty high up there on this list, actually. There's a pretty big drop-off after the top five. So to get him at 31 would actually be a pretty good pickup. Um, One guy that I think could slide to 31, it's possible. I don't know if it will happen. Uh, Two guys. So I think Rodion Amirov is one guy that I've really been keying on. The last few days, uh, you know, for the Habs pick at sixteen. And Corey Proman has him going twenty-first to Columbus, and it's possible he does go that high, but I could also see him dropping because of the Russian factor. And I know that the Ducks don't really yeah. uh favor Russian players. They haven't drafted Rodion... a
1: Russian in years.
0: But Rodion Amirov is very, very good. I mean, he not only was he very good in the MHL, which is the, the league in just below the KHL in Russia. But as a 17-year-old, he got to play in 21 KHL games and basically didn't put up any points during that stretch. But you don't really see teenagers put up big points in the KHL. So the fact that he just got those looks, and if you look at some of the underlying numbers from the games he played in the KHL, he was a really good contributor. He could be a high-level offensive player. And for him to be all the way up... So keep in mind, they have him going in the late round here. For him to be all the way up at 32% star probability on this ranking, it just makes me think he could be a really good pick. I just don't know if he'll get to the ducks. Another guy that I think that they could target, uh again, I don't know if he will get there um, is Jacob Perot. He's a guy who could potentially yeah. slide a little bit. Um, so they I think they could get a really good player at, at in that range because I think with the, the weirdness that could ensue in the top ten. Especially if Jake Sanderson goes something ridiculous like four or five, you know, just some absurdly high rank, then I think that that could that could set the table for guys that are really good to slip really far down. I just can't yeah. believe people are saying Sanderson could go before Drysdale. It's insane. It's offensive. It's offensive. It's
1: insane. It's insane. <laughs> so before we get into the past week and kind of our, our points on that, I figured seeing as we've been doing Ducks related questions, things like that. Let's get into some questions from the Twitch chat because we have one that, that I do want to hit on real quick before we move on. Who would you okay. like to – if Bob Murray does get canned, who do you want to see coming as the general manager?
0: Oh, man. That is a really good question that I honestly have not given any thought I, to. So I haven't really given have it a whole
1: lot of thought, but I think Lawrence Gilman would be someone I'd really like to see get an opportunity. I think he's been a guy that in Vancouver was an assistant general manager, is as an assistant general manager. In uh, Toronto also, um, what was it Matt Kane? Uh, was in carolina well, for a long time yeah. and now has moved into new jersey and is higher up there i don't think you'd really be able to pry him out of jersey that much i don't know if i'd really want to go at john Chaka. there's been a lot of kind of conflicting well he's got a job on him yeah he that <laughs> is true he's got a job so true. he's not available fair, fair. Um,
0: the guy i would go with is probably mike gillis i mean the, ar- mike the gillis, architect yeah. the, ar- the architect of that vancouver Canucks run Uh, That that ultimately ended up in the Stanley Cup final berth. Mike Gillis is one of those kind of forward-thinking guys that I think would bring a pretty different approach to the Ducks. I mean, the Ducks have been an old-school type organization for a long time now. And Mike Gillis, all the reports out of his time in Vancouver is that they just did things differently. And it worked. They were a very good team, and they built it the right way, valuing skill, puck possession, uh, you know, really – and to a healthy degree, right? They still had they had no shortage of sandpaper. I mean, you look at that cup run with Max Lapierre and, uh, and uh, Alexander Burroughs. So it's not like they were missing that. But I think he seems to be a guy who just kind of gets it. And I would be very curious to see what he could do with just what the Ducks have right now in their prospect pool, but also how he could build it out. So that is definitely a name that I would recommend.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's move on to to kind of our topics from the past week.
0: Okay, so let's start with the former duck spotlight. So who is a former duck that you are putting in the spotlight this week? So this may be a little bit shocking to people, but the guy I want to put a spotlight on is a guy that I
1: I, I think I could probably say that uh, I was not as hyped as everyone else was with his time in Anaheim and more so found him as... Enjoyed the the memes and the jokes, but in terms of his actual performance, uh not so much. But I'm gonna shine a light on Derek Grant because he's a guy that throughout the regular season with the Ducks, just as a for reference for everyone, he was on the ice for 40 of the expected goals. So Are you really gonna the Ducks do were. This? Yep, yep <laughs> I figured through the
0: whole it. stat profile. It's like oh, it's, I'm just.
1: It's not gonna be pretty. No, I'm I'm just very quickly showing that he was not good with the Ducks. Any thought that he was a good player with the Ducks is because he scored a couple goals uh, against the run of play and was constantly dominated um, when he was on the ice. Um, Awful. But you look at his numbers in the playoffs, and now granted, small sample size, only nine games, but 56% expected goals for percentage. Um, Mm -hmm. And just on the ice for more goals for than against, playing a solid role for that team. And so... I'm going to give him a little bit of a shout-out that his game, now that he's on a better team, he's his numbers look a little bit better. Now, granted, part of it could be his line mates. Um, but still, I want to wanna at least give him a little bit of credit, seeing as I've been so critical of him throughout the entire season. So this is me saying, good job, Derek Grant. You're actually playing well, like a lot of people did. Having Claude Giroux and Scott Lauden on your wings
0: probably helps, though. Yeah, I was going to say that <laughs> makes a little bit of a difference. Oh, but a it's little funny bit. that you... It's funny that you bring up, yeah. I mean, especially compared to what Jason Chimera or did he ever play with Jason Chimera, Chris No, Chris I don't. Kelly? I don't think so. I think you're, I think you're confused. Uh, Carter, Carter Rowney, Carter Rowney, uh, Nick Delorier. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of an upgrade, just just a teeny bit. It's funny though that you bring up a former Duck that we used to really uh, grill critique grill roast whatever you want to call it whatever choice of word roast
1: is the best way to put it actually
0: the the guy that i have who i actually kind of made memes out of not really memes but you know when you do like a screen where, capture and you zoom where in are you on going them. with
1: this where are you going with kevin bx
0: kevin BX-a. Ooh. he's got a pretty good post career glow up going on right now he is absolutely crushing it as a studio commentator for Sportsnet. uh he's just what I love about his style is that it doesn't feel it, it's authentic. he He's analytical. He uses modern terminology. He's, he really seems to understand the modern game, but he doesn't, it doesn't seem forced. And he's, he's also just kind of, he's Kevin BX. He's kind of blunt. He, he, he tells it like it is. And, and I've really enjoyed his commentary. Yeah. I, it, it's so, re- it's so refreshing to just get someone who kind of just hits all the right notes is entertaining is informative. He just kind of does it all. And, and I'm very curious to see where his career will, will go from here. Cause I think he's got a lot of potential.
1: Yeah. I 100% agree with that. That is not where I expected you to go with that, but it's a very, very, where, good did, call. You, where I mean, did you think I was going to go? I have no idea where you were going to go with it to be honest. Um, okay. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, it makes sense because he's a guy that's always had good personality, was fun with interviews, uh, a lot of really fun things. So it makes sense that he's a good broadcaster. Here's the thing. If you're the ducks, why would you not reach out to him to see if you can start getting him on broadcasts?
0: Oh, if, if he became, he lives I mean, in orange County still, if he replaced Brian Hayward. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shed a tear. Let's put it that way. Like that. And, and, that's and I've got saying. all, and I've got all the proper respect for Brian Hayward. I think he's, he's grown on me a little bit in recent years, but Kevin like, BX says just, it's, I'm, it's a different level.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty positive from when I would listen to his podcast with Kessler that he was mentioning he was running like a, a sports camp through in great park and kind of doing a lot of things in orange County. And so it
0: seems like he, him and his wife
1: have kind of settled yeah. in in orange County and like the life down the, here. The
0: ducks, the ducks would be nuts not to, to cash in on that somehow. Yeah. The, and the worst case, about it. worst case, you have him just be a studio analyst. Yeah. It, or I mean, have him- here, here's the guy that they can replace. replace Bear. Yes. For the love of God. I mean, Gabe Bear seems like a really nice guy. And I, I feel like he's really funny behind the scenes. But that just kind of evaporates once the camera starts rolling. It, it, it just evaporates. And it's a shame because, again, a lot of former players, I'm sure they have hundreds of great stories to tell. But for whatever reason, it just ca- doesn't carry over. And I think just give BX some kind of role.
1: Well, Louis brings up do a good it. point. Why not just do a three-person booth? Have them on the ice. every. Have them uh, do home I, games.
0: I hate three-person commentary teams. Oh, it, really? It's just people talk. Well, I mean, I guess the main one I watch is the Pierre Maguire three-man team yeah or three exactly. or i guess they well, have aj and- malachko so two men one woman but it's just they talk over each other so much now a lot of that's probably because pierre cannot stop talking but i'm just i, I like the two the two man. i think it's it's that's just fair. cleaner yeah that's it's just cleaner but i mean why not? I mean, if that's what it takes to integrate him onto the broadcast, cool. I think if you get Kevin, like this is such a home run opportunity for the ducks, because if they announce the next season, Kevin Bieksa will be the color commentator. I know that this isn't really a thing that people care that much about, but they go up the, the watchability rankings. They go oh, all the way up time. to the top for me. They go up to the top 10 because I will now watch the ducks solely to hear Kevin Bieksa. I yeah. mean, it doesn't even have to be anything on ice yeah. related. So yeah, that is a little light bulb moment here on the pod. I, I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Another former duck. I did want to spotlight. It doesn't. I don't know if it counts as former duck per se player, but Bruce Boudreaux, He's got some coaching opportunities there that are, that the, are starting. The to The Toronto line up rumor for him. is interesting.
1: Yep. Cut out slightly, but uh, we're all good here. Sorry. You're back. Sorry. I'm back. <laughs> all good. But yes, going going to Washington. I mean, I
0: doubt that he. Uh, I yeah. Mean, maybe it, it's pr- it, maybe there's a reunion there. It's probably not going to happen, but it would make a lot of sense i think he's a different coach dallas dallas would be a fun option i think he's a different coach now than what he was back then and it would be interesting but yeah so bruce bujo you know i feel like i'm just always obligated to show him a little love on the pod let's move on to hero of the week who is your hero of the week uh dennis Gurionov. oh that is a great pick. four
1: goal game <laughs> four goal game uh against the calgary flames uh bringing the stars back in that game and Game the win. He also had, I believe, uh, another goal earlier on in the week. Looked really good in those games. Um, so I'm going with Denis Kurianov. I mean, how can you go against a guy that has had a four goal game in an elimination game?
0: Yeah, no, that is uh, that is absolutely fair. So my pick is not a pick that I want to make, but that I feel like I need to make. The Boston Bruins have kind of just turned everything around. I mean, they they were pretty lackluster in the round robin. We both picked carolina to beat them and they kind of just they kind of just kicked the crap out of the hurricanes i mean it wasn't that competitive of a series and you just kind of wonder now if they beat tampa bay tonight they're they're looking pretty good i mean dom Lucician has his model he has the the bruins favorite in that series they're up there in terms of winning the cup probability so the bruins have they, they've tapped into something here they're they're back to that that regular season form and that's really bad news for everybody else
1: yeah it's definitely bad news for everyone else um sorry, sorry I, to your hurricanes yeah i will say that i think tampa looked good tonight
0: they did i, I mean Tampa. Tampa was fine look, looking at that game you, you don't have a lot of time in these series you know to, to turn things no, around
1: no you don't yeah i mean Here's the thing: you can go down two zero and make and come back from it, but you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. So, next game's big for Tampa. Next game's big. I mean, the nice thing is home ice advantage and all of the things that come with that have gone away completely. So any thought of you've lost home ice doesn't really matter at this point in time. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, Boston looked really good. Yeah, um, so, I really want. I yeah. really
0: want to see Tampa Bay at least get to the final. I just want to see them do it finally, and not just be the potential team, but. Steven Stamkos is probably not going to play in this series. I don't think he's. That's the big thing for them. I don't even think he's going to play in these playoffs. I mean, nothing is indicating he's coming back. Every time that John Cooper gets asked about it, he basically says, "Don't ask." That doesn't that that doesn't bode well for me uh, for for the future. Uh, But they're good enough to potentially overcome that if they can get through Boston. Their chances of winning go way up, not just because they've advanced, but because the competition. To me, that's that's their toughest test. And it's almost a shame that this series is happening now and not as the conference final. But once you get through Boston... It should be the conference you're final. You're playing the winner of Philly and Islanders. Whoever, basically, whoever wins this series between Boston and Tampa Bay is going to beat whoever wins that series. That's my prediction now. And then after that, you're going to get Vegas, Colorado. Maybe you get Dallas. I mean, who knows? But the point is, I think all those teams are worse than Boston if Tampa Bay gets through. So zero of the week who is your zero of the week Ooh,
1: this is actually a tough one and i have once again we have ones, choices
0: we have options
1: three different ones listed and so I, we'll probably go through all three of them but the first one i'm gonna list is just going with all nice performance jordan Biddington. just awful <sighs> just so bad yeah Negative 6.05 gsax on uh over the playoffs let the blues down completely i mean jake out Al- when jake allen has to come in But save the team. Here's the funny thing,
0: though. Jake Allen had a good season for the Blues. His, if you look at his goals saved over expected, it was good. It was better than Bennington's, but Bennington's was actually okay as well. So there's kind of this narrative now that you know Bennington is kind of turned into a pumpkin, and it's it's the Cam Ward story all over again. I'm actually having looked at the numbers more. I'm less inclined to go that far, but it's pretty clear that Jordan Bennington is not. You know, like I think NHL.com has had him in the top five or something. That that's that ain't the case. Sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> he's middle of the pack. But yeah,
1: so zero of the week, Jordan Bennington. I've got another one, but I'll let you go and then we'll come back to whatever one you didn't take I I'm only have one. I didn't think
0: having about having four. I have Alan Walsh. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. This is just a layup. I mean, this is such a doozy. So yesterday, Alan Walsh, the agent, the 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 Twitter the, the, the very active tweeter, yeah. Alan Walsh, who represents a ton of guys, high-profile clients in the NHL, tweets a photo, an, il- an illustration of <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury with a sword that's been stabbed through the back and protruding out from his uh, chest that's covered in blood. And on the sword, there's an, inscri- an inscription that says, DeBoer. I mean, what? I mean, I'm not going to swear, but what the F? <laughs> what, what, what just happened yeah. there? What? So it, this, this feels like an agent trying to go to bat, but for his I player. am actually going to go a step ton- further and I'm lumping Marc-Andre Fleury into the zero of the week because oh. Marc-Andre Fleury gave a little interview today about how yeah. he asked the guy, he asked Alan Wallace to delete it. And all he cares about is winning and being, a, doesn't want to be a distraction but when asked if he knew about it before, he didn't. He didn't give a yes or a no. He just ignored the question, and he gave yeah. he gave some what aboutism, and that to me, either it's telling that he knew and he's fine with this happening, or maybe he just is protecting his agent. Either way, why couldn't he? have... It's very odd to me that he wouldn't answer that question. And to me, as someone who's maybe just inherently skeptical of people it kind of indicates he probably knew that Alan Walsh was going to tweet that and was going to cause all this ruckus and was going to cause all this distraction. And he's probably really, really pissed off that he's not starting for the Vegas golden Knights. But the reality is he wasn't good at all this past season. Robin Leonard is better than him right now playing like it. So Mark Andre, sorry, put up or shut up. And Alan Walsh, what a just bizarre, immature, despicable thing to do. I mean, I can't think of a less professional thing that you could possibly do. I and mean, I'm sure there are things I could think of, but that is way down on the list. So for someone to do that, someone who supposedly has all this credibility in the industry, it's just shameful. It's absolutely shameful.
1: So now up on the screen, actually, uh, for anyone watching the video per- portion of this, I have the picture so <laughs> you can all see it. Uh, you can see that the the sword is stabbing
0: through and, him. You know, yeah. It, one th- one thing I want to add quickly is that Jesse Granger, the beat writer for the Athletic of the Vegas Golden Knights, wrote an article saying how the way that the Golden Knights have handled this situation is kind of the reason why they're here because there's been a lack of communication with Flurry. And I get that, but at the same time, that none of that val like none of that excuses what just happened here. All of this is childlike behavior from both Flurry and. Uh, oh, it, and yeah. Walsh. So I, I feel like you know, as a beat writer, you're you're kind of trying to cover all your bases, and you don't want to piss anyone off while also making some kind of point. So I get I get where he's coming from, but it's just oh, it is a tough look for everybody involved it, there.
1: It's a really tough look, and I mean, here's the thing: Robin Leonard was the better goalie.
0: Yes, like objectively Pete, so. Pete,
1: Pete, Pete DeBoer is playing the better goalie to give his team the better chance to win. Well, so this is the yeah. this is the decision that a coach. Should be making. Well, if you all, they
0: should be choosing the goalie you, that will you give read, them a better chance to win. If you read Granger's article, there's this whole thing about how when they fired Gallant, they also fired the goalie coach who they had had for three years without Flurry knowing. And then he had he had like a little run of he went four and zero and had like a nine twenty six. And then when they got Leonard, they went to him and he was miffed about that. And it's like, yeah, I I, I can see where Flurry would be frustrated. But it's a meritocracy. Sports is a meritocracy. Here's the there's thing. There's no room for Here's any of thing. this crap. Fleury is on Vegas right now
1: because he was not good enough in Pittsburgh and had his job taken from him yeah. by Matt
0: Murray, uh, by Matt Murray who was, who at the was time. He now also getting his job taken, but anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is it's what happens as life. a
1: goalie. There's only there's only one put position out there, and Fleury had to know. he's He is in the portion of his career where he needs to start transitioning to being a backup.
0: Yeah, and, and it's it's unfortunate because I don't think it'll really tarnish the I don't the, the, think, the, the, I don't, the I don't think there's gonna be a good ending to this I, I don't think it I think the people who really believe flurry is this great guy and I mean by all accounts he seems to be a really nice guy but it kind of it makes him it makes me doubt that a little bit right it makes me think oh how much of that was PR you know how you know how how big is his ego that he would allow his his agent to do that because I Having listened to Alan Walsh talk in interviews before about his career, I can't imagine that he wouldn't have come to his client who he claims to care so much about and ask him to green light the, the tweet, right? It just doesn't seem plausible, to me at least. Unless he's so drunk off of power that he just doesn't care. So, anyway, I just found that really shocking. I, I'm still yeah. kind of in shock.
1: <laughs> yeah, so other zero, let me just get on this real quick. Mike Milberry. <laughs> just, I mean... We don't have to go into it too much, but what he said on the broadcast was deplorable. I mean, Katie Strang wrote an absolutely awesome, awesome article about all this. I really, highly suggest go read it. We deserve better as hockey fans than Mike Milbury. Outside of him even saying something like that, it, it the the sad thing is, it's not shocking that he would say something like that because I mean, you look at all of his other opinions. They're old. They're they're outdated. They're they're different things there, and so us as hockey fans do not benefit. In any way from having Mike Milbury on a broadcast, at least in my opinion, I don't. I, for me, a broadcast either needs to be entertaining or informative. He does neither, and there are so many better voices out there that we should be putting on that platform to be able to put get their voice out there, get their opinions out there, whether they be people of color, whether whether they be women. I mean, we mentioned uh, someone who's up and coming, and now granted, he's neither of those, but Kevin Bieksa, a new voice to get new. in,
0: and someone who gets yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so that that's the point is that get new voices in. Get new voices with new opinions. Get Mike Johnson on broadcast more. Why the hell are they not using him? Why are they using Mike Milbury over Mike Johnson? Well, so
0: this goes into my good or bad narrative. Is it okay to, to transition into? Go that? Go for
1: it. Go for it. Go for it. I
0: think that a good narrative is that there is a bit of a culture shift going on because Mike Milbury was sent home from the bubble. So he's, he's done commentating for the playoffs, which... I would say is a good outcome for, for his uh, indiscretion. But you know, you look at the last year or so now, I mean, Don Cherry let go from hockey night in Canada. That is no small thing, even though it's probably a long time coming. Um, You look at Jeremy Roenick and his termination with NBC. There is a bit of a changing of the tides here. There are slowly, but surely there are new voices that are infiltrating and making their mark. I mean, you look at, for example, uh, AJ Malachko, I think I'm pronouncing it right, malechko on the NBC broadcast, I think she's been fantastic. Um, you know, there you see teams around the league, like the San Jose Sharks getting Kendall Cohen on their broadcast, that you're, you're getting, slowly you're getting these new voices. And I think that that, I think it's happening. And I think that that's a very good thing, like for all the, the, the reasons you mentioned. So we're getting there. I think that that is a good, a good narrative to come out of this.
1: Yes, I, I think out of all bad things, a good things can come, and I think hopefully that is a good thing to. Well, come the out proper of
0: response is happening. There's not a doubling down. I think that this is this yes. is kind of the tide of history that's taking place. I think that I think that NHL coming out right away with a,
1: a hard statement against it was important.
0: Well, it shows that it, it kind of shows why NBC reacted the way they did because if the league is that unhappy about it the, bra- the broadcast where they put out a full statement yeah the broadcasting partner kind of has to fall in line and i mean it would fly in the face of everything that nhl has been trying to accomplish you know with hockey is for everyone and with uh, their attempts at getting involved in social justice i think that you can't have in good faith you can't have mike milbury after what he said on your broadcast on your main broadcasting partner in the united states after you've said all that you've said about being inclusive and social it's just it doesn't it doesn't jibe together and so i think that that's why they they had to do it uh you a slap on the wrist was was not going to be enough um and you know with jeremy roenick does anyone miss jeremy roenick on the nbc broadcast god no i mean i don't god no i don't miss him kind of just bumbling his way through it you know just making no sense um i mean you know patrick sharp is fine i don't think he's the most entertaining or the most in- informative but at least he's just yeah i'm i'm whatever on him but he, it's whatever he's he's but I th- he's there, but An- he's, there. Anson, he's there i will say anson carter has gotten a lot better i think yes. when, when anson carter started he was a lot like patrick sharp is now just kind of trying to trying to get the words out and just trying to kind of not mess up but i think now he's kind of mastered that it's look we do a podcast and this is it's pretty easy for us because we're we're not live I mean we are live on Twitch but we're not in front of a camera on national TV right so there's far yeah. less pressure so I get that it's difficult at first but Anson Carter seems to have nailed that down and now I think he's he's got a little more personality so that's good yeah and my
1: one one gripe and I feel like I've heard washinski Greg washinsky mention this. NBC should really be trying to employ their own, uh, insiders. Kind of get diff- someone for that. That w- I think that that would be a really nice thing to see on broadcasts. Have like an insider corner. Ha- have have a segment that forces you to watch the intermission show on NBC because as of now, all it's they do in, is
0: it's pretty freaking. It, yeah, lame. I mean, I'm sorry, it, but it, that that
1: intermission show is, it, is. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, all it is is basically a local local game broadcast intermission. There's no difference between that intermission and what you would see on a Ducks broadcast. And if you're watching a national telecast, you should be getting something like you get on Sportsnet, like you well, get on Hawk TSN, United Canada.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, like, my big frustration with that whole platform, with that NBC has, is that they are the broadcasting partner of the NHL in the United States, and they don't do anything with that. They don't. They, they don't try to innovate. They don't go the extra mile. They. And like I said, there's slowly you see new voices coming in, but. It took a long time to get to this point. It took yep. a long time yep. of putting up with awful commentary. And now we're just getting there. But you look at their intermission shows and it's just you go around the table. We're talking about a couple highlights and, oh, let's see how the momentum turns. Let's see how the. it's always the same cliches. And I would like to see something different. You know, like you said, an in insider's corner, just something that's a little different. If you look at the NBC SN's presentation now, it's the exact same as it was 10 years ago in terms of their intermissions. It's the exact same. Has anything changed? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Did you have to think about that?
1: No, not really. I was responding to a Twitch chat
0: comment. Oh, there you go. Just ignoring me again. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, after all that ranting, sorry to everyone who had to put up with that, but let's um, move on to the final category here. Oh, wait. I didn't give my narrative. Oh, sorry. My bad. Yeah. Look at me yeah, ignoring God. you back. Look at me ignoring wow. you back. Just uh, settling. I score. mean, fair enough. That's fine. Fair
1: enough. Fair enough. Um, I think this is a good narrative. I don't know. It might be a narrative. I'm going with it though. The Islanders are legit. <laughs> they've been good. And how, I need to eat uh, some crow. Because how many have times not have you picked believer. against them? That <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Tell the people. Always.
0: Tell the people the and, truth.
1: Yeah. I looked into some of the numbers and they've been very, very, very good. So far. These playoffs They've kind of played exactly the way everyone thought they played throughout the regular season, but the numbers are actually backing it up now, and they're getting offense. And to me, I mean, we had our predictions. Go check them out. They're on the website. Um, I have them beating the Flyers easily in five.
0: So yeah. uh, I have it in yeah. six, but the, the, I, I share your your kind of thought that they are better than the Flyers by a significant amount. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Barry Trot season. Barry Trott's season all over again. This is what he did with the Capitals in 2018, where they went from kind of a middling five-on-five team in the regular season to elite in the playoffs. And that's, that's what we're seeing again. He's a very good coach. It's really weird that he's not coaching the Capitals still. Okay. Analytics Darling, who do you have this week?
1: Um, can I pick Max, Max Pacioretty, who okay um, has uh-huh. struggled to score for whatever reason, has not been able to score a well, goal he, so he far. He hasn't had... Or, I mean, sorry, he has one. He, he
0: had a weird training camp. He didn't join the team until late, so kind of a weird start for him, yeah. but yeah.
1: Yeah, weird start for him, but uh he has been very good since he's been playing. I mean, granted, Vegas in general is very good, but he's been on the ice for 73% of the expected goals for. Yeah. That's, that's insane. That seems pretty good. And his individual expected goal total uh in let me check all situations, I believe is where I am currently at. Uh, yeah, all situations. Uh, he is currently at 1.86 x individual expected goals and only has one goal. So a guy with that level of shooting talent to be getting that level of chances and only have a goal. Um, he's eventually going to break loose and have a really big breakout game.
0: Yeah, so I've got I've got a couple guys here. And I don't know. How do we define analytics, darling? Is it supposed to be just someone who's more low-key, flying under the radar? Yes. I mean, what do we... Because... It's someone who hasn't necessarily broken out um, in terms of goal scoring, things
1: like that. Maybe the narrative is even saying that they're bad, but if you look at the underlying numbers, they're just unlucky. So they're a darling for, in that sense. A darling, okay. Or, or or they're a player that may be lower in the lineup that aren't necessarily... Uh, well, I'm relied
0: go- upon to score a lot of goals, but they're driving play towards the other way and wearing down a team. I'm I'm going with none of these definitions, and I'm I'm not apologizing okay. for it. Um, Miro Heiskinen, I mean, he's got 13 points in 10 games, 10 assists, so some of that is probably a little noise, but he's playing 26 minutes a night. He's got a 57% expected goals for percentage, 53% shot at 10 percentage, doing it in those minutes against the, the kind of competition he's facing. He's very good in every respect. I mean, he checks every single box, analytics, box score numbers, eye test. It's pretty incredible because I'm always pretty skeptical when, you know, mainstream media kind of gets really high on a defenseman in the playoffs because usually it's because he isn't in his own end a lot and he's having to defend a lot and that doesn't necessarily bode well. But Miro Heiskanen just kind of does it all. You know, you compare it to Seth Jones, who was getting that big narrative bump, as I like to call it. And he his underlying numbers were awful. I mean, you know, the, the Blue Jackets were getting annihilated with him on the ice. But, you know, the, the numbers for Heiskanen are not elite in terms of the, for example, expected goals for. But 57 percent is still pretty good. I mean, that, that, that you, there wasn't a defenseman on the Ducks last year who who had 57 percent and he's doing it in, in the, the highest stakes situation. So I'm giving it to Mira Heiskanen. Are, are you OK with that? I'm completely and totally fine with that. Another guy I did kind of want to talk about is Nikita Kucherov because there is, I can feel this narrative brewing about him maybe not necessarily bringing it in these playoffs so far. Cause I think he only has uh, two goals so far and yeah, he's got two goals in eight games, but he's still got nine points. And so people are cr- critiquing him for not looking dangerous enough or you know, this and that. But when he's out there on the ice, the Lightning are just totally dominating their competition. I mean, you look at the shot attempt battle; they're controlling that at sixty-two point nine percent, and expected goals for at sixty-four point two percent. So he is still very, very dominant, and I think that he's gonna he's gonna make his mark on that series against Boston. T- so currently, mm-hmm.
1: sorry by the way, wanna uh, currently on your screen is the official cat of Crash the Pond. Uh-oh. Salem Salem. Rudolph is on my lap and should be on your screen. Say hi, Salem. <laughs> She's purring all over the place and
0: staring. You're a cat guy, finally. You you finally made... I'm a Salem guy. See, that's... Isn't that kind of demeaning to her, though? Because
1: No, it's not. if
0: you're not a cat guy, how can you be a Salem guy?
1: I'm a Salem guy because Salem is perfect. To be
0: a Salem guy, you have to be a cat guy because she is a cat. No, I don't. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not how, this works. <laughs> log- not how this works. Logic is not admissible here. <laughs> nope. Uh well that is great. I fully support your your new uh your new companion there. That is awesome. Definitely a little jealous, but it's okay. Um anything else you want to touch on here as we just finished our last item? Any lingering topics? Um, nope.
1: I'm excited for the second round, I guess is officially what it is um yes our predictions <laughs> is, are now up is, on the is website anyone disputing oh.
0: that it's a second round
1: well no it was more so i had to think about what it was okay um Fair. as in where where are we currently so by the way let's just do a quick recap um for the first round the standings ended up as uh i got four right and four wrong with three of my series being correct in terms of ga- uh, the games you were five and three with two series correct cj was five and three also you and CJ just end up correct, end up with the same, and you just keep edging them out with
0: number of games. Yeah, I um, mean, the, and so the, the number of you, games is is the true test.
1: You ended up taking down the first round, and uh, cumulatively, I'm still in the lead though. Nine and seven. You and CJ are eight and eight. So as of right now, I won the first or the qualifying round. You won the first round. We both get beers. Thing is, I have to buy beer for the first round, so. I'm uh playing oh, it wait, where are, CJ
0: are, owes me a beer. Are you buying me a beer or buying me a six pack? Is what? that? Yes. Well,
1: no. I I I no, no, no here here's how it. I it's thought worked. it was because round CJ by round. CJ owes me a six. Yeah, so because CJ owes me a beer for the first round or the qualifying round, I'm uh transitioning that to now he just owes you a beer. Ah, uh, see, that's no fun. Why is
0: that no fun? That's just no fun. I could just
1: take the beer that CJ buys me and give it to
0: you. Yeah, why don't you just do that? Uh, there, there's, that's ju- stupid. there's just there's just there there's an element of decorum that has to be met here. That you are the one who finished last. You are the one who has to purchase the beer because you're basically just dodging the punishment. It, with the the approach you're taking. Am I though? You kind of are. You're kind of rejiggering the whole thing just so that you don't have to lift a Is finger. It? <laughs> that, that's are that's sure. A- <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I
1: think it's just redistributing the winnings.
0: <laughs> yeah, but. I want that. I want that satisfaction of getting it from the person who was last in that you, particular. You want
1: to know that I had to buy that
0: for you. Yeah, fine, fine. There's, there's CJ just a,
1: owes me a six pack and I owe you a six
0: pack. There's an element of just rubbing it in that I, I enjoy there as a, as a poor, as a, as a sore winner is what I am. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, looking at that first round though, I am really kind of kicking myself cause I feel like I bought the hype too much on some of these teams like Washington, for example, uh, that was not a good pick, uh, and then Montreal. I would probably still make that pick again, but you know, it's just kind of—I just hate being wrong on that one. <laughs> and then Carolina, I think, is the one where I way over, uh, way overanalyzed the fact that Boston wasn't that great in the round robin, and and read way too much into Carolina's performance in the qualifying round because you saw that balance really shift in the first couple of games. I mean, it was clear that Boston was the better team, at least to me. And, uh, it's kind of unfortunate if I had gone with Boston, uh, I'd be in a different place right now. So also I do want to point out yeah, just for the bragging rights that I was the only one who picked Vancouver. So there you go.
1: I was going to say, if I would have gone Vancouver, we would have both been at five and three and I would have
0: had more series. Right. So I would have won. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, so for the, and, uh, yeah, for the second round, we pretty much, cj and i have the exact same picks which kind of bothers me because i mean we, we, we i keep... was i was ready to go different
1: uh, and i'm happy with the way that the game is currently going that i didn't need to go different with my bracket to try to uh differentiate myself so, because yeah what's as the of score? uh during recording right now vegas is up what is it four to nothing what it's Four for nothing right no now. no way really yeah Come on. Yeah, it's it's either 3 nothing or 4 nothing. Let me do I'm pulling it's it up. an intermission right now.
0: I'm pulling it up just to see what the score is. P- apologize for everyone listening. Uh yeah, it's yeah, 4-0. 4-0 after two periods. My word. Yeah. Shots are 27-19. That very very good. Yeah, I mean this kind of feels pretty on par. I mean, you so just for everyone that that doesn't know, which is everyone. Jake had it in writing that he was picking Vancouver. He had it in writing. Yeah. in the article, and he chickened out. Chickened out of his pick. Well, no, and switched it wasn't. It, to Vegas and it wasn't
1: necessarily chickening out. Here, here's the way we wrote this article. Just so, just, just <laughs> to add, add context. I wrote my stuff first, so at, both Felix and CJ could see my picks before making theirs. So, because we have a bet on the line, they could modify their stuff based on mine. So I, but had I don't, assu- I don't do
0: that. I had I don't assumed do that. See, you're you're overthinking it. I
1: had assumed that we were all going to be the same for the first three. Uh-huh. Uh, first three series, and so because of that, I wanted to go different with my uh, with my final pick, and have Vancouver win just because it would be different in taking the mm-hmm. shot, even though it was the low percentage play, and I even said in the article that my head you says did. to go with Vegas. You rewrote the my whole heart, thing. Yeah. My, I mean, I didn't rewrite anything. I rewrote the final line and said, my heart says to go with uh, Vancouver, and it, you originally said, I'm going with my heart and saying Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I changed yes. it to say, no, I'm going with my head. So uh, yeah. I went Vegas. I, yeah. So it, it was because after the fact, you all had written your stuff. And both of you, by the way, had given me crap that after I had written mine, there was four hours pre- in previous articles to uh, go back and edit and modify and add more information. And so yeah, I, but actually that went was beca- ba- I went back and did that this time and modified it because I saw your pics and realized... I didn't need to be different.
0: There's just so much there, but we don't have time. By for the time to, the article it what matters
1: down. is what was in writing by the time the article published. My official there, pick There's Vegas.
0: There's there's so much wrong in there, but it's it's there's not enough time for that. Hey, um, it's a bet. You, you did you did go Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is the one did. that kind of it all hinges on for you. I I really wanted to pick Tampa, but there's just something in my gut that tells me Boston's going to win. Yeah, I have Tampa. And I I don't I I I don't like it because I I don't like Boston, but oh. it is what it is. Although tonight's game Sometimes you gotta out, go but through. I
1: I still like Tampa's depth. I like Tampa's Tampa's oh. really deep and I like that. I, I favor yeah, that. But I think their defense is is pretty solid. Goaltending. I know you have their issues. Goaltending, yes, and I know that you'll say Halak has been good and I think he has. Halak is still, better
0: than Vasilevsky.
1: I still think it's a step <laughs> Statistically. down from if if it was Raskin goal, it I would have probably picked Boston.
0: It is a, it is a step down, but Vasilevsky. I mean, oh, I'm not a his Vasilevsky numbers were fan not that at all. great Yeah, I, I mean they have a, they have a slight edge there in, in goal. I would say. Um, I just want to see. I, I keep saying it. I just want to see Tampa do it. Please, can can we just can we just finally have that team? I, I hate seeing the team like Washington was in the beginning of the decade that just is so good but never gets it done. I just want to see them do it. So maybe this will be the year. I should mention though that. So we did do an NHL bracket uh, on actual NHL.com. Oh, yeah. Mine's not and doing too great. Ex- if you want to excuse me here, I will bring it up. So this is a good time to to plug our Patreon. So you, oh. did you have anything else you wanted I to I should also on?
1: mention, seeing as you're bringing up the bracket, that I should say that uh, I was determined to be the representative, oh. and this was not uh, by anyone else's choice. This was just because I was the only one who decided to do it for uh i believe it's deep in the crease podcast they had a, a bracket challenge between a couple different ducks podcasts so i was uh the person who put it together i believe we're sitting in last place felix the crash of yeah the that's bracket. i'm
0: bl- i'm blaming you yeah i'm sure I, you I, probably I, had like carolina i in did the, have carolina in the final or something i did i did so <laughs> yeah so this is a good time to wrap things up and, and plug our patreon a little bit so if you enjoy the show um there's one awesome way that you can support us and, and get more content so you go to our patreon page patreon.com slash crash the pond so for a dollar a month uh you get access to our patrons only discord chat which is a lot of fun a lot of it has turned into just grilling me when the habs lose it seems but that's fine i'm, I'm here to I'm, I'm here for that and then for five dollars a month uh you also get the same access to the chat and to elaborate a bit more on the chat, you, you know, during the ducks season, we'll, we'll do live in game chats, almost every ducks game. And you know, we'll, we'll kind of jump in there when ducks news breaks, and we'll just kind of react. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I think if you're a diehard ducks fan, and you're kind of looking for a little community of, of people who are as invested as you are into the team, I think that discord chat can be a great place to, to find that. And then so for $5, you get that you also get two bonus episodes a month so for those we we do kind of what we've been doing here a little bit we go league wide but we'll do rankings we'll look back at some ducks history we've gone all over the map here uh during the pandemic uh once the duck season starts back up i'm sure we'll we'll have uh more topics to jump into there but it's more of a deep dive type pod there's also a lot of banter a lot of randomness so if you enjoy kind of that sillier side of our podcast i think that you will definitely you will definitely enjoy that those bonus episodes and it'll be worth the five dollars a month they, they get a little off the rails. Let's just put it that way. There's some, some some hot food takes are, are had. Um, but because of that, because of the people who are patrons, we did a little uh, bracket challenge with our patrons. And so there's some some people don't have their real names in their brackets. So I, I can't really uh, nail it down here looking at the rankings. But right now, uh, just to shout everyone out, Mike D is in first place in the the leaderboard he's got 79 total points doesn't have the highest possible points but he has colorado winning the stanley cup which is definitely in play although they didn't look great against dallas in game 1 and he's got the he got the second round perfect and almost got a perfect in the east as well got a perfect in the west but he had carolina going to the cup final against colorado that did not end up well for him and i know someone else who who did that Jake, do you, do you know anyone who may have had Carolina in the Cup final? Um, guilty. Are are, are you there? Are, are you there on the other end of the line? Yep. Because Guil- uh, I'm looking at your bracket and uh, I'm uh, seeing a Carolina uh, Hurricanes logo under Stanley Cup champions. <laughs> so, I'm I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Yeah. You know, you you called your shot. You 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 went for it. I respect that. But uh, yeah, so Mike is Mike D is in first place. Jamie, uh, aka Taco Bell is in second with 60 points he's still uh, well and good he's got the western second round perfect he's got uh, Vegas and Tampa in the conference fi- in the Stanley Cup final sorry so he's still alive and definitely has a chance to win it all CJ our very on CJ Woodling is in third he's got 59 points. Two hundred eighty-four possible points. So he also had Carolina in the Cup final. What is it with people and putting Carolina in the Cup final? Even me, who had the win in the first round, I'm not that crazy. People, calm down with Carolina this year. They're going to be good, but this out of control with these Cup final picks. I'm sorry, Jake. I, I don't mean to bash your team, but that's I mean it's just the way it is. I mean,
1: it feels like you are, but go, carry on. I mean, I'm carry just on. saying. I'm carry seeing on.
0: all these people whose whose brackets are are floundering because of Carolina. Um, just carry on. Carry on. I'll, keep, keep, I'll keep going with the keep going with the slander. Keep going with the slander. I'll I'll point out that I'm in fourth, uh, but my possible points is actually pretty up there. Uh, we'll see, we'll I have 331 possible points. I'm we'll third in goes. possible points. So my my upside, my ceiling is still pretty high. Yeah. So then Jake is at five total. Total malarkey. Silverberg in four and Sean's bracket are in a three way tie for sixth, and then Green Bastard is seventh. Yeah, and he, I mean. This is an RIP moment. I'm looking at Stanley Cup champions, and I'm I'm rubbing my eyes. I'm I'm squinting, and I see a Columbus Blue Jackets logo there. That uh, this ain't it, Chief. <laughs> I mean, Sorry, Green why? Bastard. He he has why made would... some pretty pretty good memes in our
1: uh, Discord chat. So giving him a shout out there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, yeah. he's
0: great. He's he's great. But I just love the fact that he had Chicago winning. He had Arizona winning, Columbus Basically, going I all mean, the way to. Sometimes you gotta is he have from a different. Ohio? Can sometimes we, can you we, have we, to have, have a different that?
1: bracket. You have to differentiate your bracket, go something off and weird to try to get the win. It's a it's a
0: DFS play. It's a GPP. Yeah, play. you're. A, I know you can appreciate that as a DFS guy. Yeah, so. sometimes you so gotta be you different. Go. It's all well and good. It's all well and good, and that's another benefit of being in the Patreon Discord, as you when we do fun stuff like this, you can join in, join in on the fun. Another way that you can support the show that this is the legit easiest way you can do it. There is no easier way. Go to Apple podcast, type in crash the pond. I'm doing it right now. I'm showing you how easy it is. You, you, you type it in, look it up. And then once you go to our page, select it, scroll down, just hit the stars, hit five stars. That's all you got to do. Rate the show and you're done. It, it takes you maybe maybe 12 seconds and you're done forever. Now, if you want to go a step further and have an even more lasting uh, contribution, you can also leave a review. Those really, really help. We love hearing from you guys. We love hearing your thoughts. Honestly, those reviews, I mean, they're really uplifting for us. This, this is a labor of love, this show. So hearing your, your thoughts, your feedback really does go a long way. So that's on Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube. What's the URL for YouTube? YouTube.com
1: slash Crash the Pond.
0: Yep. So if you're a YouTube person, if that's how you enjoy your podcast, well, we've got you covered there. Um, When we do the live version of this show, twitch.tv slash crash the pond. So that's a big one. Uh, If you are an Amazon Prime member, you do get access to a free Twitch subscription, Twitch Prime subscription. And so use that on us, you get some perks with it, Uh, highly recommend that. But if nothing else, just join the stream when we're live and you get to interact with people that are in our chat. Um, we are also on Spotify. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Check out CrashThePond.com, Crash, at CrashThePond on Twitter, and that's going to do it. So if you can do one of those things that we just mentioned, that already goes a long way. If everyone just does one of those, we're, we're doing really good. So thanks everybody for listening. Hope you have a great week. Hope you're enjoying these playoffs and we will talk to you at the next show. Bye.